What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and I've got special guest Louis Armstrong on the line today, the founder of Killer Way Ice Cream. How you doing, man? Doing great, Robert. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I met you at KetoCon this past year, and I'd love, I mean, just give the audience kind of a little bio, what got you into the space in the first place, man? Yeah. Um, well, food's definitely an interesting business. And I got there by way of my degree. I got a food science degree from University of Idaho and Washington State had a shared program. So I got into professional food world and my route went basically into quality assurance. So I worked for a company called Lighthouse Foods up in Sandpoint, Idaho, and did their quality assurance for all their plants. So got to really get involved with all the different types of departments, um, product launches with big companies co-manufacturing products for people, for other people, and doing a lot of the food safety audits, organic audits, and that type of thing. So it gave me a really good grasp of kind of what food is. What made and you want to go that, in that I took, um, In college, I started off general studies. Didn't know what I wanted to do, like probably most people going to college these days. Mm -hmm. But I did have an interest in microbiology and chemistry, but not either one specifically as like a job. So I had a few friends that were in um, food science and convinced me to go talk to the advisor at that point. He's the one that really kind of convinced me to take a look at it. 100% job placement. Uh, people got to eat. So the jobs never go anywhere. And I just started kind of walking into it and loved it. And I, I've always loved food. Um, I'm a big food person. Yeah. Uh, my indulgences are our priority, which is probably why I started getting into ice cream at some point. So yeah, so what you you were working at Lighthouse, then what was the transition from that to you know deciding to create your own business, your own brand in into the keto space specifically? Yeah, so I worked for Lighthouse for about close to six years. Um, at a certain point, I pretty much just got bored of corporate world, so I shot up the corporate ladder, reporting right to the CEO. Um, was pretty much autonomous with my own department, so I was in charge at that point where I ended my career there. I was in charge of blue cheese production, so I made you know a couple million pounds of blue cheese every year, and that was kind of a an interesting journey, just learning how that that whole process is and managing production and scaling up. But I've always had this kind of entrepreneurial spirit. That's how I grew up, and it really kind of stems back to exactly how I grew up. So by the time I was like nine years old, my my family commercial fished in Alaska, so that was my summers commercial fishing up in Alaska on the banks of the Yukon River in the middle of nowhere. So really working hard, not sleeping as a kid. And then we scaled that up and eventually went to Bristol Bay where the main sockeye salmon fishing business is and did that all through and after college. Um, so between that awesome, and kind of how I grew up is almost like a kind of like a farm boy, really. We had a bunch of land, so we had always just work to do. Um, and I just, I don't know, I had a different kind of work mentality uh, than a lot of people and just grew up so differently. I think that no matter what I did in corporate world, I was probably going to be bored. And that's kind of really what the long story short is. So I got bored with corporate and just quit it all and moved to Boise, Idaho, which is Southern Idaho and got involved with a small operation for another cheese venture, which was goat cheese at that time. So at, at that point, this is like 2013 to give you a reference. There really wasn't much goat production in Idaho. And you probably know of Idaho as like a potato state, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but really the leading agriculture here is dairy. Uh, we have, we're the number three dairy producer in the United States. We have uh, large whey protein processing plants, uh, huge cheese production, and, you know, fluid milks as well. Um, so the company I got involved with 
had a small creamery that I actually helped set up back in 2006 as an intern. So ownership changed. They wanted to do something with it and kind of cold call me up at Lighthouse and wanted to start making goat cheese, something called Chev, which is like a soft, soft, fresh cheese from mm -hmm. goat. So I helped them scale that up. We started a bunch of dairies here in Idaho. And long story short there, the uh, people we were partnered with ended up buying the milk supply directly from our dairies once we grew them up to a larger scale. And what, what that really led to is me finally being able to do my own company and products. So this creamery was freed up. I had some free time and I had this protein ice cream idea from back in like 2011, but I just never had the time to work on it being in corporate world. So I finally had the place and the time and started working on my own recipes. So protein ice cream was really where Killer Way started. And that was about two years ago. So I created the recipes. I uh, had a pro professional production facility with this creamery to use, which was really one of the biggest keys um, to get this type of equipment. You're talking, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars at a minimum just to just to scale something up like this. So that was a huge key. So I was able to make my my products and get them out to the local kind of Boise market, CrossFit gyms, um, coffee shops, just kept it small and did farmers markets and things like that just to see if people would like it. And it was kind of a hit. So I started scaling it up and through these connections and going to gyms and doing samplings, I started bumping into the keto community. So a lot of the gyms with boot camps, um, had a lot of fitness, uh, related diets that, <clears throat> sorry, went with that. And that's where I really started hearing about keto. And this is probably about a year and a half ago. So through that, people started asking me to do a keto specific ice cream. Our protein line is sweetened with xylitol. So there's no sugar added to it. So you can make it work with keto, but with, we have 44 grams of protein in a pint. So that's a mm -hmm. aggressive amount of protein. And it's really not that important for the general speaking keto diet. So I promised to make a keto ice cream for a long time. And finally, I started working on the recipe probably last fall. And the reason I started getting into it basically was, in, in general, I'm a huge skeptic when it comes to diet trends, uh, marketing in general. So I, you know, I didn't really know what to think of keto to start. But all the people I respected from podcasts, from the fitness world, uh, general health, keto seemed to be popping up all over the place. So I started doing my own research. And a lot of it really made sense to me um, and still does. I still completely believe in the ketogenic diet and try to live the lifestyle the best that I can. Um, when, I, when I started doing keto myself is really kind of what triggered, okay, I think I need to do this ice cream. So created the ice cream recipes and I just launched it really about three months ago from a, from a broad perspective. We had it here in Boise, but now we're shipping it nationally. And the tweaks that I had to make to my protein recipe were fairly minimal, obviously cut back the protein. And I added a bunch of fat to it. So we have cream in there and MCT oil is the, the main fat source. And we're using erythritol and stevia to sweeten it, which seems to be kind of the acceptable or best one out there that I've found. Um, and working on constantly tweaking the recipes and just getting better, better and better to kind of fit the needs of the ketogenic world. Yeah, I mean, it, it tastes amazing. I mean, like I had some at KetoCon and, and there's a lot of ice creams in the keto space right now, but I think they just, they're not really marketed towards keto specifically so much as they are just like really low calorie. So it's like an icy yep. more, more so than ice cream. And I mean, yours, since you have so much, the, you know, the cream and the fats in there, like it's actually ice cream, which is like, yeah, exactly. like pretty, pretty damn so good. We're putting cream back into ice cream, yeah, cream back into like ice it? cream of all things. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's a bunch of the Halo Top kind of took the market by storm. That's the one that most people know about. Mm -hmm. They pay for 
add dollars for keto ice cream online. So if you search for keto ice cream, Halo Top's going to pop up, Enlightened, products like that. And when I started this uh, brand, Halo Top was pretty big, but not that well distributed. And over the last couple of years, they've just taken over. They're you know bigger than Ben and & Jerry's and, and Haagen-Dazs, so these two monsters that are owned by even bigger monsters like Nestle. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of how food space works. You know, the giant companies end up buying little ones. And if you look at these charts of who owns who, it's amazing what brands all lead back to these gigantic companies, for better or worse. It's kind of hard to say sometimes, but it also leaves a space to be innovative too because those giant companies take a long time to actually do things. But what I think we've been able to do is move fast. We have our own production facility. Um, we can differentiate. Uh, Halo Top does work. They are lower sugar, you know, than a lot of other products out there and low calorie. But what we're trying to do is actually give you some real nutrition. So this category, if you talk to a buyer at a large store, would be the better for you ice creams, quote unquote. So Halo Top fits right into there. We do too, technically. Um, but a lot of those brands are really just low calorie. So how do you get to low calorie? You pump a bunch of air into it, essentially. So if you look at the weight of the actual product, you're really not getting much out of it. It just is a guilt-free treat, essentially. So with our products, we're trying to actually deliver something to you. So with the protein ice cream, we have, you know, obviously a lot of protein. And with our keto ice creams, we're trying to give you some actual healthy fats. And we have a very dense product. There's not a ton of air in it, which I think is a benefit as well. So you don't have to eat an entire pint to actually feel like you're full, if that makes sense. Yeah, there's, there's a lot to be said for that. Because, I mean, I've never really sat well with the, the food products that are kind of seen more like as a guiltless treat. Um, I mean, I want to be eating something of substance whenever I'm consuming. My only, my only uh, take on that is like I'll eat the miracle noodles, or miracle noodles or miracle rice when I'm in a competition prep. Right. If I'm going to be eating ice cream, you know, like I would rather get something that's actually benefiting my macros for the day. Yeah, and if you can make it taste good too, why not? So, I mean, if we're talking ice cream here, what is ice cream? Ice cream is like a celebration. It's it is a treat. It's like the common guilty pleasure. People uh, want to celebrate ice cream. They'll go out and take their kids to get ice cream. It'll be a post-activity kind of thing to celebrate a win from a sporting event or something like that. So the way I look at it, um, ice cream is kind of a tool. You know, you can use it to to stay in ketosis essentially with ours. So the more people we can keep on track with their diets, especially people that are doing massive changes to how they used to eat with a massive amount of carbs and things like that. So it's really tough to just go cold turkey on things. So if you can stay in ketosis with a couple of treats, why not? And I'm not, and I definitely don't want people to eat, you know, a pint every day or something like that. I mean, I guess I probably should from a sales standpoint, but, mm-hmm. but really it's just ice cream should be used in moderation, just like everything else. And that's kind of my, my general philosophy in food and um, everything in moderation, including moderation from time to time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What made you decide on, you said it was erythritol and stevia? Yeah. Yep. I see so, a lot of ice creams with xylitol. Why'd you decide against that? Um, just kind of where it lands with the on the glycemic index. It seems like xylitol does have a chance to spike your blood sugar levels. It, it's acceptable. It seems in diabetic space and is obviously a lot less than sugar, but it is not quite as good as erythritol, which seems to have zero glycemic impact. The uh, the other thing that bothers me about xylitol too is it is toxic to dogs. I don't know if that's extremely common, but people in that space seem to know it. But there's like a huge fear in my life of somebody having our ice cream or, you know, a dog getting sick from xylitol. So we're actually even transitioning our protein ice cream away from xylitol. Um, And I've heard some things from an industry standpoint that seems like xylitol is getting a little going to be a little bit more scarce to find. 
and actually erythritol too. Everything these monster companies are starting to convert away from sugar, as you as you well know, sugar is becoming uh, very evil, uh, rightfully so. So people are starting to pull sugar out of stuff, and now what do you replace it with? And these products seem to be a good fit for that. Yeah, I agree. I think I mean, as far as the the options out there, I think erythritol and stevia are the two best, especially for keto. So kudos to you for not taking shortcuts there. Yeah, and that's what I'm trying to do. I mean, I'm trying to keep keep as about as open as we can. If you look at our website, we try to blog about every ingredient that we have, um, not just from a marketing standpoint, but just talking about what we have and what, what kind of the pitfalls are and what the generalities are. And overall, I want people to do their own research. Uh, I've done mine. I'm hoping that what we're using is the best stuff. And as new information comes along, I'm more than willing to change and take people's feedback on our products and make changes. That's one nice thing about controlling our own production. I can actually do changes. So you know, we started off, we've been bootstrapped this entire time. Uh, to truly scale up, we might have to take on some funding here pretty quick, but it's it's kind of nice to have pure control of everything. And I can I can actually, you know, have say in what we're making and the ingredients going into it. So I, as a food scientist with my background, do all the purchasing of ingredients, uh, vetting out all these suppliers and making sure that we have a stable, consistent source, that all these suppliers have the right types of audits, that I'm getting spec sheets from them that fit exactly what I want. And of course, the nutritionals that come along with that. And that's a huge, a huge part of starting a food company is, you know, how do you guarantee your suppliers are doing what you hope they're doing? Uh, If you're just buying something online from a a random distributor that is marketing online, you don't technically know likely where that stuff's coming from or what, what kind of audits they go through, what scrutiny they, they have to go through to, to sell those products. So just securing the supply chain is kind of what I'm saying there. Absolutely, man. I mean, like I've just just ventured into this whole industry, like with the keto brick that we've been making, and there's so Which much is more. Uh, yeah, appreciate it. When you pull the curtain back on like the food industry and you really start diving into it, like you pretty much have to if you start a food business. There's so many more nuances and details that I never would have imagined. I mean, like the sourcing of the ingredients. I mean, so many people just take shortcuts there just to get the cheapest option. And when you do that, I mean, the yeah. quality suffers and just everything suffers. You get a lot more filler ingredients. Like you and I owning our own companies, you know, we, we both see the importance of, you know, brand loyalty and doing right by our consumer and our audience and like anything to sacrifice that. And there's no business in the first place. So I don't ever want to sacrifice that. So go into the next degree to kind of figure out, you know, what's the best option for the ingredients? What's the best sourcing? What's the best distrib- distribution? I mean, everything, there's like so many different roads that split and you have to decide, you know, which way you want to take it. But it's such a cool industry Absolutely. to be in because, I mean, there's literally opportunities everywhere. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm all about the numbers. So I'll be looking at spreadsheets to figure out, you know, what's the best way to do this um, to make, you know, yep. production more efficient. And it's just fun, man. I love it. Yeah, it's a definitely a complicated space for it to just jump right into. And then I've chosen, uh, even with my uh you know, I know a little bit about the food industry. I know a little bit about a lot of things, but not an expert in really anything. It's kind of how I, I pitch myself. But even knowing the challenges of starting a food company, uh, I still jumped in. So people say I'm a pretty stubborn person. Uh, I think I've got a pretty good drive. And even within that, I started a frozen food company. So frozen's a whole nother animal because frozen distribution is just complicated and obviously expensive. So when you're hauling frozen product around, obviously there's an energy impact there. And for these major grocery stores to store frozen products, think about all those condensers, evaporators, physical space that it takes, and uh, electricity to run those types of units. So they expect higher gross margins on those products and have to charge more on the shelf. So it's just 
really complicated and you really have to understand your numbers and work those spreadsheets to make sure you can get a business out of it. And I'm kind of right in the thick of that. You know, I've, I started up small and even, even doing like just farmer's markets and small amounts here in Boise, Idaho. I mean, it's a lot of work. Absolutely. But once you take to go from that small scale to, you know, distribution essentially to try to hit a region. So I'm just trying to focus on Pacific Northwest, West coast right now. Just that jump alone is really kind of where the key is for a food company. So you, it's somewhat easy to start small, but how do you get that scale? And you really have to start networking with people, uh, get some people you can trust to help guide you through that. Um, there are food incubators out there, accelerator programs that a lot of the big companies put on to help people foster those things um, or those relationships and to scale properly. Um, or you can find people locally that can help out, which is what I've done. Uh, Boise, Idaho is you know, fairly small, but we do, oddly enough, have Albertsons headquartered here, which is like the number three grocery store chain. So through that, there's a bunch of food folks that are in Boise, including brokers and distributors and people from food companies. So I've been able to network here and at least get some information. I'm just trying to stay humble and listen to people that have been there and done that and try to set myself up for success because there's just so many different ways to fail in the food industry. So yeah. Keep doing what you're doing. It looks like you're doing an amazing job. And you're, you're keeping it all in-house right now, right? Yep. Yep. All in-house. I've got uh, one person helping with marketing and we've got a couple people in production now that I was able to hire just from our scale. And then as we grow, we'll have to, you know, figure out how to make that work too. But uh, that's all kind of coming. And we're there's planning a, for it right now. There's a lot to be said for that, man. Like when, when we sell out on the keto bricks, like everybody's just like, well, go get investors and go find somebody to scale up, go find a co-packer. And, and I've, talked with a few different co-packers and it's not that easy. Like you do that and you sacrifice no. a lot of the the quality. I mean, quality control is huge. Exactly. Kind of what we were saying earlier. And it's, I mean, keeping it in house like that, you may sacrifice a little bit in your ability to scale up quickly. But I mean, just in what I've learned over the past few months with Keto Brick, like it's, it's more admirable, I think, to keep it in house and truly just, you know, take everything to the nth degree and be the best you can and make sure the quality is like top notch because nobody is going to care as much about your business as you period. I don't care who they are. And that's just the, exactly. the simple fact of it. So, you know, sacrificing that quick growth to make sure that you have quality long-term growth is, I mean, I, I tip my hat to you for them. Yeah. And especially if you have unique products too. So like, just like both our products, if I, I have talked to co-packers and not everybody uses the same ingredients that I do. So having to bring in special ingredients, a lot of times they don't want to deal with that type of thing. So You'd have to find the perfect co-packer that fits right into your same vision, uh, which would probably be tough for something like your product, I would assume as well, or mm -hmm. you're stuck producing yourself. And when you start looking at what it takes to set up operations and production, it's pretty intense. Um, a lot of, there's some glamour behind, you know, if you think about ice cream, most, I think my friends and general crowd think, oh, well, that's fun. Ice cream's awesome. But really it is just manufacturing. You're, you're doing a lot of cleaning and a lot of physical work. Um, just happens to be that you're producing a ice cream instead of a some type of widget you know um so yeah it's a complicated space that's for sure and there's so many ways to fail and i i try to help out as many there's been a bunch of food startups here in boise and i try to help out as many as i can and completely open book and i love feeding people information i think it all comes back to you at some point so if you ever have any random questions definitely shoot them my way um i don't know if you're looking at getting into grocery stores or anything but that's a whole nother topic of how how the grocery grocery world works as well i mean it's very cash intensive Man, is it a whole other rabbit hole going down there? It's, it's, I don't know, man. Like, like I said earlier, the food industry is just a whole other beast in, in its entirety. I mean, 
I, I've told people kind of what I'm doing and, and they're shocked that I'm even making these myself. Like, I'm sure you get that question a lot too. Like, so you're actually the oh, one yeah. making these and it's like, well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, people are, uh-huh. are amazed by that. They just assume that we have it all outsourced or, or whatever, but you know, you're in the kitchen. I'm in the kitchen. I mean, I got freaking rubber gloves on. I saw the picture on your website. You yeah. got rubber gloves on. Like, you know, yeah, we got the hairnets hair and rubber gloves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, that's, and when you yeah, do that's that, super admirable. Yeah, yeah. When you do that, I mean, you just have like, it, it's, you just have more ownership stake in it, more pride in it. And I don't know, like that makes me as a consumer much more likely to purchase your product because I know you're the one behind the, the scenes making it, you know, putting your sweat and, sweat and tears into it. Yeah, hopefully not right into the ice cream, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, don't mix that in there. <laughs> but yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, definitely. That's and that's super admirable for you. So, you know, I've a lot of the products I see out there, and I'm not going to call anybody out, but they, you know, they go right to a co-packer with an idea, just kind of a Me Too brand following other examples out there just because there's a niche, like, uh, data-wise that some category is growing. So they'll raise a bunch of money, um, put a team together. And then go get their co-packer and they become basically a sales and marketing team is all it is. You're just sitting at your computer. You don't have any true connection to what it takes to make those products. No actual on-site control of what's being made. So you really don't even know what your product is. Like where are they sourcing these ingredients? What it, What is actually happening in physical production? And I guarantee a lot of these companies have just no idea. So for you to take on your own brand in-house and source those ingredients and create it yourself, it's, it should speak so much more to to our consumers and especially in this keto world too, people actually care what they're eating. They're, I think, very, very intense in scrutinizing what they put into their bodies, which they should be, and everybody should be even outside of keto. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I hope and I, I truly believe people will stick to brands that are uh, transparent as possible. Yeah, I feel like the consumer as, as a whole, with regard to their food, I mean, they, they, they're just tired of being lied to. So, I mean, people are more, are becoming more conscious of like the ingredients and more importantly, like the sourcing of those ingredients. Like there's so much deception in the food world. Like, you know, so many kind of buzzwords put onto the labels, um, oh, a lot yeah. of misled marketing. And I think it's really key for, for consumers to, you know, take note of that and proactively look into where their food actually comes from, from the very beginning, as opposed to just, you know, the packaging on the shelf. Um, so yeah, it's so, it's so confusing. Cool. Yeah. It's very, very um, confusing. Yeah, mar- marketing. Like I said, uh, I'm a skeptic when it comes to marketing in general. Um, and when you look at what's being presented to you out there as a consumer, um, even outside of food, though, within food specifically, I mean, obviously like organic products are skyrocketing, uh, within that world though, you have to look at, uh, you know, people I think assume because it's organic that there's, you know, no pesticides used, no herbicides, it's just some naturally going plant, but being I've gone through organic audits, I've created organic products for other companies, those types of things. Um, a lot of it's just a paper trail. So if you actually go to the farms where these are created, they could be, you know, right across the road from a non-organic farm with pesticides and chemicals leaching over, or they're actually, there's improved, you know, herbicides and pesticides that are used on these farms too. That are And these are huge, massive operations. So in my mind, that's just, I don't know, it's just not that organic. I think if you can keep yourself to buying local where you understand those stories of those producers at your farmer's market and things like that. I think that's the best way to go. So kind of, again, going back to just keeping it simple. Um, so yeah, like with organic products, there's, I don't know if you've looked at the labels, but you'll, you'll see either hundred percent organic or organic, which means if it just says organic, it could be 95% organic. I think that's the criteria there. So mm-hmm. 5% of those ingredients don't have to be organic, which to me makes it not organic. I don't, I don't know uh, just because the bulk of it is or isn't. 
then there's the made for organic label too, which is like 70% of the ingredients have to be organic to, to use that. So you got to even look within all that marketing and it's going to be kind of hidden on the label too, which part uh, actually meets those standards. So it's very confusing. I mean, just to, just to buy something based off a label is unfortunately not the only way you have to go. And you got to look at, you're constantly being sold to. So what are the reasons for it? So again, keep it simple, whole foods. And I've heard you talk about that. And most people that I admire, um, sticking to whole foods is probably the best thing you can do. And then squeak in some ice cream every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> of <course. laughs> oh, of course, man. That, that goes without saying. Um, th- this yeah, is a great fun. segue, honestly. So with regard to, to organic food and kind of really paying to the sourcing and where your food comes from, Another topic that, that you and I, I don't know how we got started on it when we were talking at KetoCon, but we both are avid hunters. And I'd love to kind of dive into yeah. that because, you know, that's something that seems to be, you know, lacking um, just as a whole. I, I think, you know, the human race, I mean, we're hunting less and less and less over the years because, frankly, we don't need to hunt, um, whereas before it was a necessity. Yep. But I'd love to kind of dive into. Ago. Yeah, exactly. Not that long ago. Um, and th- it's kind of strange because, like, a lot of people you know, they look down upon hunting as inhumane um, and, you know, not fair to the animal. And that's, I'm sure you and I have our own opinions about that for sure. Oh yeah, um, sure. But I'd love to kind of just dive into to that because I think the more, the more I dive into it, keto and hunting, and like the whole primitive lifestyle, um, the whole savage lifestyle, if I may say so myself, um, <laughs> it all, it all ties in together. I mean, there's no better food quality sourcing than harvesting your own game meat you know, from the wild, like that, that's as good as it gets. That's better than any organic sticker. Yeah. It's the real organic. So like on my personal social media, you'll see me put like real organic and things like that when I'm talking about my own meats and whatnot. And I do my own butchering and make my own products out of my own animals too. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just, it just makes sense to me. Kind of like what you're saying along with keto, which is why keto is so appealing to me. It just kind of makes sense. You know, if you look at human history, of course we had to be ketogenic at some points with food being scarcity. And it goes along with kind of how, you know, the keto diet is with just, you know, the bulk meals and intermittent fasting and things like that. So hunting just, just makes sense. Obviously it's where we came from as a human race. Uh, just very recently, we've been able to say that we don't have to do that in the first world, uh, third world. It's still a huge part of, um, how they survive. Um, protein so important and meat and things like that. So really it's just this first world thing that's just popped up that we don't need to hunt. Um, and the hunter numbers are dwindling. Um, it's not a not too pretty of a picture. Uh, and it's really, really kind of a crazy story. I mean, look at how many people are on this planet. If everybody converted to hunting, it's just really not possible. But for the people that do have access to it, I mean, talk about the the best resource for meat, the cleanest type of thing. There's no marketing there. It's just the the cleanest protein you can get. Um, but it is it is a tough thing to do for it's hard to just jump right into. I don't know how if you were raised into it or what, but that's pretty much how I was. So it just became kind of a natural thing. And I think and I, if I had my way, I would have pretty much everybody. I think it's like 95 percent of the world eats meat. Um, I would have people in the United States or anywhere I had control of learn what what it takes to process your own your own meats um that includes like from life to death of an animal i think people should understand that and have a respect for it especially if you're going to eat meat um i think that just needs to be part of how you grow up so you understand what's happening so you know people that haven't been around that before and eat burgers and have something against hunting it just blows my mind uh just i would say ignorant that that you would have an opinion on hunting uh when you don't procure your own meat and understand the huge background of what it takes to make that burger and how it gets to you from 
factory farms to uh, the distribution to the stores that have to carry that to the marketing behind it uh, there's there's such a such a convoluted route for you to get that burger compared to getting it yourself i 100 percent agree man you literally said it perfectly i think you know hunting hunting is so much more than just simply going out and killing an animal which i think some people are mistaken it for i mean like for yeah. me i was raised you know hunting my, my father you know raised me that way I, we have a family farm it's been in our family for four generations down in south arkansas and I mean, every oh, year we, we'd go down there and we'd hunt. And I mean, that was so much more than, than just procuring f- food though. Like that was an opportunity for us all to gather and like, you know, take stock in, in the beautiful wilderness around us, you know, be out there respecting the wildlife and, you know, being at peace with, with the world basically. I mean, I'd go sit in a tree stand for 10 hours a day. And when you do that and you remove yourself, I mean, there's no Wi-Fi signal down there. When you remove yourself yeah. from just the noise of the world, and you can fixate on the birds chirping or like the, the wind blowing and like the, the deer across the field. I mean, there's something to be said for that. You don't get walking through a grocery store and then in harvesting that animal, like I've got utmost respect for that deer. I mean, that deer fuels me and I, I you know, kill it in the most humane way possible. I get a clean shot on it. I mean, I practice my hunting so yeah. that I can have a clean shot on it. And I mean, that animal is going to suffer much less than any of these animals that are bread for slaughter and i don't know like i think yeah. i think you hit the nail on the head when you said if you're eating meat and you're against hunting you you clearly need, just need to focus on where that that meat comes from because yeah i mean there's there's a long history of humans hunting for food and for survival and i think hunting is an admirable respectful thing that anybody could can and should do yeah it's 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 really hard for me to like sum up what hunting means to me like there's some very obvious things like I get meat to eat um, and it's an activity that I do, but it's hard to like summarize just what it exactly means to me. Cause when I'm hunting, uh, just like you, it sounds like with your family, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, it's a big camaraderie type thing. Like it's my time to like decompress, to reset. I'm out in the wild. It's like a, it's a unique experience where nothing really matters except what I think you're actually in the real world where, <laughs> you know, you see nature uh, what the bulk of the planet is and you're out there, um, you don't have to think about the day-to-day stuff of what's going on with production or what's happening to your family or just random, random things that can be negative. Like you're just out, you know, living with, uh, nature and that's, I'm getting kind of hippie-ish here, but that's kind of like, it's weird. That's why I say it's hard to explain what it, what it truly means. Uh, but the bullet points, uh, for what hunting can be with, uh, from food perspective, eating clean, um, how it supports conservation uh, as a byproduct of hunting. You know, there's the the Pittman-Robertson Act that uh, sportsmen's uh, basically self-imposed to tax their their gear that helps benefit uh, wildlife rest- restoration and things like that. And that's like billions of dollars that go back into sustaining herds and growing them um, as much as we can. And you know, there's a lot of arguments out there like, why do we have to hunt and why do we have to get, even get involved to manage herds, to, to kill animals, to help manage herds? And that's Again, it's really tough to kind of talk to people about that without any type of background because we are humans. We've we've we're taken over this planet. We're in the spaces that animals want to live, so we have to get involved with the management of their numbers. And if we don't get involved, things just yo-yo like crazy, and you get a lot of uh, sickly herds and numbers, and nobody benefits from that. So it's a very complex topic, and I, I hope more people get involved with the hunting world or at least support it. And I I think like the movements like keto and carnivore diet which i keep hearing more about um are helping people kind of turn an eye towards that so you see 
you see that veganism and vegetarianism isn't necessarily the best way to go. Uh, it works for tons of people, and I have really no no hard feelings against anybody that wants to do either thing. Um, to each his own is kind of my mentality, but I like the idea that that hunting is kind of coming back to the forefront in a lot of social media and just a lot of publications, and that meat isn't becoming villainized, which it seemed like it kind of was over the last five years from my perspective, and I, I do really like that carnivore and these other ideas that are challenging the norm which is kind of my personality in general are mm -hmm. starting to make make headlines and really getting some science backing uh and people like you know with extensive backgrounds in these areas are starting to say the right things to get the right attention from people to change people's perspectives i think it's amazing and there's so many different um people out there that started off vegan and went straight to carnivore and things like that and so i love hearing stories where people just started challenging what they think they knew and that's something that i was challenged myself to do as well is not get stuck in some mentality and just be open-minded to everything out there because i think we have a lot to learn uh, about about human health and how things work and we're just on the cusp of understanding little things so i agree completely man i think um there's a there's a lag effect you know and i think the nutritional aspect of you know keto and carnivore all that stuff getting in popularity is is definitely ramping up i mean the the trends are all moving in the right direction there I think there's still a disconnect between, you know, people eating keto and eating carnivore and actually hunting. But because, you know, the nutritional aspect is is gaining in momentum, I, I hope, you know, that, that that trend will turn as well and people will take more of an interest in where their food comes from and actually participate in the harvesting of that food. Um, what what is your take? Like do you think I mean, time frame wise and kind of like what's gonna be the the pivotal moment for an increase in hunters Where's, what's going to take that that trend to reverse um i think we need to treat, treat it like a company you know it needs to be marketed properly there needs to be an effort to really push what hunting is and all the positives to it and that starts with kids and that's i think the biggest thing i've heard you know the number of new hunters is is going down so we still have all the old numbers and even if there is some increases like the <clears throat> the number of youth that are coming into it are just smaller and smaller as people kind of become more urbanized um there's just less access to hunting so people move to the cities for jobs or kind of however it works it just um it's a lot harder to get into it and there's just not as many people talking about it so from my i mean I, I follow so many different hunters on social media so it looks like the industry's thriving and a lot of positive things are happening but it's you know kind of like preaching to your own choir um we we're talking to each other so how do we talk to the the majority of the people out there which is the non-hunters essentially so i think there needs to be a big push just from what hunting is and exactly like we're talking about here, how do we convey this message to more people and how do we get them involved? And I think, yeah, starting youth programs and getting people involved in what meat is and what the options are for procuring your own meat or buying it or, you know, doing your own butchering. I think the, all the entire process from uh, where it comes from to how it goes through your body and all the benefits it has are super important. So it's education of the youth, essentially, I think would be the best way to go about that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, I mean it makes sense. It all starts starts with the youth. They're, they are tomorrow's future. Um, and honestly, I mean, like even from like a sentimental emotional standpoint, I mean, literally my best memories as a, as a child were going out and hunting with my father. I mean, literally. So like from a I'm not a parent at yeah. the moment, um, but yeah, I mean, if if I would have any words of wisdom to impart on any you know fathers or parents out there, you know, there, there's memories that can be built by taking your son or your daughter out in the woods. And, you know, revealing that lifestyle to them that, that nobody, I mean, there's no price on that. You can't buy that in the toy aisle. I mean, there's, there's nothing else like that. And if that's, you know, what it takes to 
you know, leave a legacy and reverse this trend and get people out in the outdoors more often and, and take part in hunting, man. I mean, I'm all for it. Yeah, that's a great point. I just, my wife and I, my wife Liz, uh, we just had our first son, Jax, and he's about five months old now. Um, and that's probably one of the biggest things I think about with him as he grows up. Like, I'm super excited to get him out hunting and fishing and just foster him into that world so we can see uh, just how things are, how I grew up. Um, it's just such a such a long lineage in human history of of hunting and what it means to me. I'd love to just hand that down to him. So I'm super excited to have a a little man chasing me around in the woods, um, yeah. hopefully just like I was when I was a kid. And uh, yeah, just like you said, some of my best experiences um, as a kid and as an adult have been from the hunting world. Uh, probably my, I would say by far my best experiences and things that I remember. Um, I can remember like, you know, where I found a shed antler from like, you know, when I was 10 years old and I can't even remember things I did yesterday. So those are just little things of being in the outdoors. It's amazing. It's amazing how how they stick with you because uh, they're just i feel like the realist experiences that you have absolutely absolutely well tell me man what about uh you know your keto what, what's kind of like your take on on how you're going to treat your your uh, son's nutrition i'm curious that's kind of like a interesting topic right now in the keto world you know what about keto for kids kind of what your perspective is that's on that's a great question um in general i think low carb is what probably the route i'm going to take with him uh, obviously my wife has a gigantic stay in that <laughs> Um, she has been, she's tried keto with me a little bit and she makes keto recipes to kind of cater to me and things like that. And just, just lately she started eating a lot more meat and higher fat, uh, in her diet to produce more milk for herself and my son and, uh, has been more open to it. So I, I ideally I'm hoping my, my whole family transitions to a low carb, uh, ketogenic diet, but with him, I, you know, I haven't honestly read enough data. Uh, and research about what keto does to kids. Uh, I don't see it being negative. I've heard, we've had family friends that give their kids egg yolks and high fats, uh, omega-3s and things like that for brain function. Uh, there's definitely got to be some benefits there, just like it is with an adult. I don't see how there could be much negative to it. But I don't want to be too strict because you also want to introduce a lot of different things to your children too, so they don't develop, uh, it, from from an allergic standpoint, it sounds like, uh, introducing certain products at different points in time. There's research behind how that leads to not having allergies to foods too. So again, like most things, very complex, but I think, I think low carb, uh, cutting back the sugar, obviously I don't want to have treats around my house. that will be a, a grandma can do that type of stuff with our kid, but I don't, I definitely don't want to have a lot of that going on in my household. Uh, that's a wise move for sure, man. It honestly like breaks my heart to see like walk down the baby aisle and just see oh, yeah. so much sugar, man. Like like kids are marketed to more than adults. And it's just, it blows my mind the kind of crap that parents are, you know, feeding their kids. And, and they have like long, long lasting effects. So, I mean, in my opinion, you yep. get him on the good quality foods <laughs> and eating ice cream that you make. <laughs> and that, that yep. and good venison and he's going to be superhuman. That's the idea. Yeah. I want him to be jacked off ice cream and meat. That'd be the perfect yeah. world. <laughs> Shoot, yeah, man. I'm excited about that. And some keto bricks um, too, of course. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that goes without saying as well, of course. Um, <laughs> I've got a little well, bit well, of the one that you gave me left. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, shoot, it. shoot me your address, man. I'll, I'll, I know the guy that makes them. I'll send you some more. We'll do a little ice cream <laughs> keto brick swap. That'd be a great idea. We could do a collaboration too. Throw some of the keto hey. brick into the ice cream. Um, that would actually be really good. Uh, I could see that being like a good uh, inclusion. So inside of the ice cream, um, any type of thing you put into ice cream is called an inclusion from a manufacturing standpoint, but it'd probably have like the perfect, I don't know if you've done much freeze tests with it, but it probably would be a really nice little crunch, uh, from a, 
mouthfeel perspective to have in the ice cream. I've been buying you a bunch of the, uh, not an ice cream, but I, I bought a bunch of the Kite Hill yogurt. Most yogurts have, you know, way too much sugar added to them, but I get the, yeah, the exactly. Kite Hill almond based yogurt. And I've been okay. literally every single day this past two weeks, I've, I've broken off some of the brick and put that in there. And it's honestly like, it's, it's amazing. Like it's, that's what I've been eating every single day. So I bet it would have a similar effect <laughs> yeah. to the ice cream for sure. Yeah. We'll have to do a collaboration. And again, that's another beauty of having your own, your own company in production. You can do fun collaborations and keep it, keep it interesting and fun, which is the goal of our, our brand essentially want to want to do fun, interesting things with our products and keep it fun. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have to get permission from the higher ups at Nestle to, yep, exactly. Nestle to do our own thing here. Yep. For sure. That's, that's definitely a big drawback with the, with going through a co-manufacturer, it could take, if we wanted to do just like what we're talking about here, that could take eight months just to get it through the process, you know, but, but I could honestly do that tomorrow if we wanted to. So. Yeah, man, let's get it in the works. works. I mean, we're, we're, we're both ramping up production. So let's do a little keto brick and killer whey ice cream, uh, collab. I'm all for it. I like it for sure. Well, cool, man. Where, where can people go to find out more about you, the business and, and see the hunting, I guess, Instagram, right? Yeah. So on Instagram, I'm just Armstrong stuff basically at Armstrong, Armstrong last word stuff. Yeah. I don't know why, but that's what I chose. And then <laughs> like of course, killer way is just at killer way and way is like whey proteins, W H E Y. And then same with Facebook and Twitter and everything like that. Um, but I would say Instagram is probably the main source for killer way and what we're up to. I'm curious where, where'd the name killer way come from? I'm assuming it had something to do with your background in commercial fishing. Um, a little bit, kind of a Pacific Northwest, uh, throw out there with, uh, orcas and killer whales up here. And I wanted to put way into the name because um, at that point we were doing strictly protein ice creams. Mm-hmm. So I was I know, like killer products. I wanted to do something, something killer in the space. So it all just kind of melded together. And then we have a, a killer whale as our logo. So kind of, it's all kind of blended a little bit. Yeah, no, I like it all, man. The the brand is good. The the product's good. I, I've been rocking your, your cap that you gave me. So I got the, the killer oh, way cap on. <laughs> Thank you very much. I love it. Um, yeah, building a brand and all that type of stuff is a whole different animal as well. It is, it is. But I think, you know, doing it just the way you're doing it, you know, from the heart, boots on the ground, you're you're the one behind the scenes. I mean, you know everything from the very beginning to the very end. Um, you know, it, it's all, it's funny. It's all symbiotic in nature. Like, kind of like we were talking about, you know, knowing where your food comes from, you know, and the sourcing and the, you know, all the way to the animal itself to where it is on the, on the store shelves. The same is true with you and the business. And when you have the complete picture like that, like you can tie up loose ends and you can offer, you know, a quality product. And I mean, that's, that's honestly why the brands that make it, make it, in my opinion, they might, they might, you know, shortchange some, some growth on the front end, but the, it's just, everything's going to be better. And I don't ever want to sacrifice quality for speed or quantity. Yep. You nailed it. Absolutely. Um, are you going to be a low carb USA? I'm going to try to, man. Um, we're going to be ramping up production uh, for the keto bricks during that exact time. So it may, okay. it may not happen. I don't know. Tough one. Let me know if you're you there. I'd love, to, I'd love to touch base with you. Yep. We'll set up and do a little bit of ice cream sampling and hopefully I can attend as many of the seminars as possible. Cause it seems to be a rock star lineup as always. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And hopefully next time we can do a podcast in person off your, your family's ranch or something like that with a hunting trip. <laughs> I'd be all about it, man. Let's, I mean, shoot, let's get a, we, we, so our homework is we got to get a, a keto brick and killer way collaboration and then we got to get us a hunting trip yep. in line together and we'll just knock out both of them yeah i don't know if you've been to idaho before but talk about the hunting mecca we've got elk deer moose uh any type of bird that you want to shoot um yeah it's it's a beautiful place for hunting and tons of public land too 
I actually used to live in Spokane, Washington, and I would go oh, to okay. like Coeur d'Alene, so northern Idaho quite a bit. Yep. Um, but yeah, you're in like the pristine Beautiful. area for a big game hunting. All, all that we have down here in Arkansas is like a little bit of a white-tailed deer, so you're, you're in the, the yep. primo spot for sure. Yep, it's easier for me to fill that freezer, which is why carnivore seems appealing to me, but I got to do my research and figure out exactly what that is. <laughs> well, I'll come, I'll come up there to hunt and <laughs> rather than you coming down here. How about that? That sounds good. <laughs> All right, man. Well, again, man, I appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure and uh, we'll definitely have to keep in touch because we got some, some stuff in the pipeline for sure. For sure. Thanks, Robert. You bet. Take care, man.